You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans, and welcome to Episode 3 of The Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Connor Halley. Once again, you guys, thank you so much for giving us a listen today. And as usual, a pretty good show lined up for you here, of course. The hockey season is set to get going Wednesday evening when the Edmonton Oilers take on the Vancouver Canucks. And for that, we're going to bring in Thomas Drantz. He covers the team for The Athletic. You can also catch him on TSN 1040 as well on Twitter, at Thomas Drantz. We're going to talk to him about a variety of topics, of course. The Canucks had a pretty good little time in the bubble here in Edmonton, making it to the second round. They forced Vegas to a Game 7, where they ultimately lost. But what came from that? You know, What did they build on from that? And uh, we'll talk to Thomas about that as well as, you know, the changes in Vancouver and this matchup against the Edmonton Oilers Wednesday night. We're also going to talk to Ryan Holt. He is the voice of the Bakersfield Condors. Of course, Bakersfield being the AHL affiliate to the Edmonton Oilers. And he's seen a lot of these young players grow and develop in the last few years. We'll talk to him about those players as well as some that he thinks could take that leap to the NHL in the coming years. And we're going to bring on a good friend of mine, a guy who played 674 games in the NHL, 186 with the Oilers. He also won two Memorial Cups. He went one for one in the shootout, and he is a co-host on TSN 1260 with the Jason Greger Show. Jason Strudwick will hop on later on in the show. But just some news and notes from the Oilers today, and they made some roster moves waving Jujar Kara, Patrick Russell, Joachim Niegaard, Anton Forsberg and Alan Quine today. Also, Oscar Clefbaum spoke to media today talking about the severity of his shoulder injury and why he decided to shut it down. Here's a portion of that interview right now. It kind of comes to a point where, where you're not really feel right when you're part of life. Uh, it's, it's one thing to to be on the ice and take some pain medication and anti-inflammatory and all that and, and play through it. But when it comes to a point where you really can't sleep and, and put your clothes on properly and all that, it kind of comes to a point where, where your body says, no, you don't, you should not do this anymore. And, and, and obviously it's, it's, uh, it's tough to, to tell the guys and the management that I, I, I need to do something. I don't want to fold my cards. Uh, I don't, I'm going to try to make uh, this shoulder the best I can to be, to be back playing. Uh, but right now, um, it was a pretty natural decision to to uh, tell the guys I need to do something because once again, it's uh, life is is greater than hockey, obviously. So I want to get this uh, fixed. That's Oscar Kleppbaum discussing his shoulder injury and the reason he will not be playing for this upcoming season. Mentioning that he does want to get back into the game eventually, but just right now he's got to take care of his body and he's a hundred percent right. There's more to life than hockey. He's got a long life to live once the game is done with him, and uh, we just send him the best. Hopefully, he can recover fully. And hopefully we see him back on the ice for the Edmonton Oilers. Also some changes in the media as Jack Michaels will be taking over the play-by-play duties from Kevin Quinn alongside Louis DeBrusque. And with that, former Red Deer Rebels analyst Cam Moon jumps into the radio booth alongside Bob Stoffer. Congrats to both of them on the new positions. Tough news for Kevin Quinn and Drew Remenda, who will no longer be a part of the broadcast. Let's get to the guest on the show today, and let's kick it off with my good friend Jason Strudwick. He played over 600 games in the NHL, 186 with the Oilers. He won two Memorial Cups with the Kamloops Blazers. Also went one for one in the shootout. And you can hear him Monday through Friday from 2 till 6 on TSN 1260. He's the co-host on the Jason Greger Show. Struddy, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. How you doing? I can't complain. I'm uh, glad we could get you on here to talk uh, a variety of topics. Obviously, 
anyone listening in the Edmonton area knows you're the top analyst in our city. And I, I'm not saying that just because you're here. You know, you, you played the game. You, you've been doing this for a long time. You and I had a lot of fun back in the day on the uh, the post-game show, and we got to hang out and uh, just talk about some truly, truly bad hockey quite often. So I'm glad you made some time, and we'll talk about your time with the Oilers as well. You've told me some fun stories off the air. I'm sure we can get to those today here on the podcast. And you know what? You can swear if you want. I haven't had a guest drop a swear yet, so if you want to just like let it loose, feel free. Well, you know I love to swear. You have to blip me out all the time on the sh- on our radio show, so I'll let it fly here for sure. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's that's what I want. I want like this raw, cutting edge podcast here on the Hockey Podcast <laughs> Network. Uh, Stretty, let's just quickly talk about the Oilers right now, current day team. Uh, what did you make of the off season and the players that they brought in? Starting off with Tyson Berry. Well, I think that they were in a unique position that there was a lot of discounts to be had, right, with the flat cap and and uh, the uncertainty of of the season. So they got a good, some really good value deals on on different guys, uh, which is really good. So Tyson Berry is huge. You know, he he brings what the Oilers don't have, which is you know a dangerous shooter. Uh, they can jump up in the play. I'm not talking about shooting just from the blue line. I'm talking about, you know, following the play up, jumping in on the offensive zone and creating havoc, almost a rover-like. No one really does that for the Oilers. I think Caleb Jones could do it. I think he could develop that. I think Ethan Bear has the ability as well. Um, but the other guys, they're not really programmed to do it that way. That's fine. It's, you know, not everyone has to be a rover, but they, in today's NHL, you got to have that ability or some players that can do that. So Bear is a huge pickup. I think Tyce, uh, Kyle Turris seems to be a lock for that, um, you know, third center position. A uh, couple tough years for tourists down in, in Nashville. Can he rebound in a significant way? If he can, that'll be a huge pickup for the Oilers. Between the pipes, no moves made. Uh, I actually had a lot of friends, for some reason, letting me know how mad they were about Mike Smith signing when he did and for the price tag that he did. But I'm not going to get too worked up about that. Do you believe in those two with what they bring on the ice with Mike Smith and Mikko Koskinen? I think that you could have the greatest goalies in the world. But if you continue to play defensive hockey the way the Oilers did last year, it, it wouldn't matter. Um, if the Oilers can get even become an average skating defensive team, and, and that's not just defensive, it's not just forward, it's a whole group, it's a philosophy, it's a way of thinking. If they can do that, um, their goalies will be just fine. Are they elite? No, they're not elite goaltenders, but in my mind, there's not a lot of super elite goalies. I think that with Koskin, if he can manage more ice time or more games and a little bit less for Mike Smith, that's best for them. But those two guys, it doesn't matter if they do if they aren't better defensively in front of them. And I think that's got to be the focus for Dave Tippett and company going into this year. Spoken like a true defenseman, hey? Yeah, you know, I love it. I love the D-men and they, or the defensive zone because you got to give your goalies a chance. You can't expect them to bail you out every time there's a bad play. Obviously, like really tough situation now for these players going into this season. Only a 10-day training camp, no preseason games. If you were in this situation, how tough would it be? And what do you think these guys were doing leading up to the start of the season, or at least officially getting that, that notice that you would have a 10-day camp before kicking things off? Man, the hardest part is getting up to game speed and matching that physical intensity. So like, I would have been looking for a lot of... You know, even before or after practice, doing some things um, with my teammates, like just two on two in small areas, just to get used to being leaned on and leaning on guys, because you can you can run you know a mile in, in you know three minutes, but when you get on the ice and someone now is leaning on you and pushing on you and and fighting for position, it really drains your energy quick, and it's not the same. So that that is a big concern, just that that ability and that feeling of competing and battling. Um, so I, I, I think that's an area that not just orders, but every team are going to have to figure it out. Um, how do you get quickly up to that battle level that is NHL regular season? 
if 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 it takes you two or three games, you could be down. You could lose your first three or four games before you even get out the you know before you even get a win. So that is something that Dave Tippett's talked about. I've heard other coaches talking about it. Getting that NHL compete right away will be important to, for a, a good start. Jason Strudwick joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. And Struds, I want to get into your playing days here. Of course, you spent a few years with the Edmonton Oilers, and we'll talk about that. But growing up in the city, I know you're a West End kid. Did you want to play for the Oilers growing up? Like, was that the goal? You know what? I, I never even had a dream of playing the NHL. It was seemed so far away. I, I played on the the world's worst midget team um, at eighteen in grade twelve, and then you know one year later I won the Memorial Cup and was drafted in the third round by the NHL. And I can honestly tell you that that first time that I played uh, that first when I got drafted, that was the first time I believed I could play in the NHL. Uh, when I went away to play Kamloops uh, Western Hockey League, uh, you know, for the Western uh, Hockey League Kamloops Blazers, I thought I played there three years. They said if I played three years, they'd give me four years of a scholarship. And I was going to come back to Edmonton, live with my parents, go to school for four years and become accountant. And then about 24, 25, I would have been an accountant. That was my goal. That was, that was my hope, my dream. And uh, you know, it definitely changed. So, you know, no, I, to answer your question, I, I mean, I, I, I pretend I was Mark Messier playing street hockey, but I never in a million years thought I'd play in the NHL. It was, it was so such a crazy, crazy idea that I didn't even enter. I didn't even think of it. So favorite oiler growing up, was it Messier? Yeah, I love Messier, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then get to play with him later was amazing. He 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 is such a good leader and I, I I've got so much time for him. But yeah, he, he was my he was my guy. Okay, so let's go back to two thousand and eight, I believe. That was the summer that you signed with the Edmonton Oilers. How did it happen? Did you reach out to them? Did they contact your agent? Like what went behind the negotiations with you signing with Edmonton? Yeah, so I was a free agent and, um, you know, it's always weird. You know, you get all these calls for agency, uh, this team wants you or this team and, you know, you get, I get like maybe a handful, four, five, three, four, five teams. And, um, that was the summer that Matt Green and, uh, Stoll were traded for Lubavir Viznoski. And so, uh, my agent was Donnie Meehan and Kevin Pendergrass was, uh, assistant GM for the Oilers. And they were just having a casual conversation. They said, we well, you know what? We just, Traded Matt Green, we need someone to take his place, like a you know hard nosed defenseman and kind of a good guy in the dressing room. And Donnie means like I got your guy, it's Jason Strudwick. And Kevin Paris was like, Jesus, that's not a bad idea. So they you know they read back and within forty eight hours I signed the orders. Like it happened so easy <laughs> and so quick. And that's why I had Donnie Mee as an agent because he knew so many people in the business. Um, you know, not that I have anything against a young or a relatively new newcomer in the agent business, but I wanted someone with a, like long tentacles, so they were able to find me, you know, jobs or or, or places that maybe other guys wouldn't get me into. And Donnie did that really well, and that's how I got to be an owner. It was it was absolutely crazy. And when you sign with the team, like I'm just looking here on the the DB, I don't have this memorized by any means, but Alex Hemsky, Sheldon Surrey, Sean Horkoff, you had a young Sam Gagne and Andrew Cogliano, Dustin Penner, Viznovsky, as you mentioned, like there was some talent on that team. There was, you know, I really felt we were a playoff team. Um, you know, we should have been, and we really crapped the bed there the last 10 game stretch. We just, we couldn't get a win. Um, you know, Mac T was our coach. I love playing for Mac T, Charlie Huddy were just fantastic. But yeah, I noticed that, the, the, you know, we, we should have been a playoff team. We were, we were, you know, a, a much better team than our results showed. Um, and it was disappointing. I think I want to say we had some injury issues at some point, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I was so happy to come back and I thought, my God, we're going to make the playoffs as a team and we're going to be right in the mix. What was the first impression of Sam Gagne and Andrew Cogliano? And did you expect them to carve out the careers that they have so far? 
Yeah, you know, they they were just such hard workers and you know, they're they're hockey lifers, those guys. And I, I you know, people think that you join the NHL and you're just you're there. Once you get to NHL you have to work harder than when you arrived in NHL because every year there's people kind of come in and push you out. And Kyle Gano and Sam Gagne worked at their game all the time, before practice, after practice, getting in shape. And you could just see the progression and, and how they improved uh, physically and on, on the ice. And now they're both really good pros. And you look at them, they're, you know, Sam just recently signed with Detroit and uh, Cog's still there in Dallas. They're both looked upon as good veterans guys that you want surrounding your young players. And I think it's it's fantastic that they're in those roles. Probably picked up a few things from you, hey? <laughs> Not skill wise. <laughs> no, you know what? I, 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 you know what? Towards the end of my career, I, I knew that that was my job was to mentor the young guys. And it wasn't always fun when you were mentoring them and you wouldn't play that game. But, um, you know, I don't think it's anything. You don't sit down and be like, Hey, this is how you do it. It's not like the tablets, right? That it was the 10 commandments. Um, you just, but you, you try to just do the same thing every day. So they see you and they, they can copy you. And maybe they take a little something from you. Like I know when I was young, I took a little something from Mark Messier. I took a little something from uh, a guy named Mary Barron, Andrew Castles. Like I, guys that were older and watched them, how they were professionals. And being professional isn't just being good. It's being really good at your craft. You know, putting in time and practicing, working out, eating right, getting the sleep. And all that adds up to success on the ice. And you guys had some tough dudes on that squad like you, Ethan Morrow, Zach Stortini. Who's the toughest? Oh, it was, it was Sheldon. Sorry, he could have beat us all up. Sorry, yeah, okay. Was, yeah, he was the toughest. Yeah, you know, Starts was a willing fighter. Not, not wasn't really hurt you. Uh, Morrow was a good hitter, and you know, not really worried about him fighting. But um, yeah, Shelly, he, he we fought once, and it was it was a good fight. Like he's a tough guy. Um, so you got to be ready for him. But yeah, no, I, it, we had a really, we had a tough team. There was no issue about toughness. Um, but it was such a disappointment we weren't able to get in the playoffs. Strutty, you had two goals that year. Do you remember them? <laughs> uh, I think one was on uh, Tampa Bay. It was right out of the intermission. It was an awful goal. It just went <laughs> right off the ice and barely off the ice. So I don't think he even saw it. Another one I don't remember. Was it, was it a good one? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just thought you'd remember these two. I, I think they might have been your final two goals in the NHL. So I thought you'd have those like on YouTube ready to go rewatching them. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Maybe one when I was actually playing forward, maybe with, uh, I was online with Brodziak and Sortini. And maybe we did, maybe we did score a goal in that shift. But, uh, I, you know what? I, I've, I'm not a big goal. I didn't, I, I, I like scoring goals. I'm not an idiot, but it didn't really, I wasn't dying. I wanted to have the other guy have a bad day by not letting him score. And you can always tell when you kind of beat someone. You know, that wanted to score on you. Like, it just felt right. And that's what I enjoyed. I, that, that, I didn't get too hot and excited about trying to score, uh, goals the same way. Strutty, I told a few friends I'd be having you on the podcast this week, and the first thing they told me was, you've got to ask about the shift. <laughs> the shift. What a, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, it, <laughs> it was crazy. We got out there, myself and Shorney, and we were playing in Detroit, <laughs> and we, we ended up being out there, I think, for almost four minutes. Like, it was crazy. You know what's funny is that the uh, Connors, I think, rookie year, he came and did – he skated um, – I went and did something with him, an event with him. And he came over, he's like, Strutty, the guys were showing me your four-minute shift. 
So the first things I'm like, yeah, Connor, nice to meet you too, buddy. Uh, you know, here's arguably the greatest player in the world, chirping you about my four minute shift. It was so funny. But yeah, um, you know, we got out there and we couldn't get off. And I, I think I lost my stick. I got Pizzani's stick. Couldn't get it out there. Then I think Patrick O'Sullivan, I could have passed to him, but he changed. Like, it was such a gong show. And the worst part is I came off and like, we were just bagged, absolutely bagged. So Tom Rain's assistant coach and he sat us out for like, a couple of rotations. Then we go back out there. We had a two minute shift and he said, I think you're done for the period. I'm like, we should be done for our life. We're awful. <laughs> It was so funny, but both player, both teams changed, changed everybody at least once, and some Detroit Red Wings got on twice. <laughs> Did they, you imagine? Were they saying anything to you? Like, like no, oh, you're still not. out here, Struz? What's going on? <laughs> but you know what's so funny is that, like, I, I remember JF, uh, JD Deloria is in the pipes, and it was so bad. Like, I was, I was so mad that we couldn't get our zone. <laughs> I was trying to tip the puck in our own net. Like, <laughs> I was in front of their forward. Uh, what was that? There was that Swedish guy that was good in front of that. I was in front of him trying to tip the puck, and he was trying to lift my stick. <laughs> like, I got to end this. It's just an, an absolute nightmare. Uh, but you know what? Like, at the end of the day, we played six minutes in, like, two shifts, and we can get scored on one. So I guess it's a good thing. <laughs> at what point are you like, okay, like, this has been a really long time. Like, th- this shift will not end. Like, I imagine after a minute, you're probably thinking, yeah, it'd be good to get off. But at what point, or did it even occur to you, like, this is going way too long? Oh, the whole time. <laughs> Doing the whole time. Um, but it was just, it was just crazy. It was just, it was, <laughs> it took, it, it you know, you, you, cause you have a warrant, like, in my mind, you're like 40, 40 to 50 second shift, right? Yeah. And you're out there for way longer than that. And you know, it's just a shit show. Like, you're <laughs> like, oh God. And, you know, then you, like, I was in really good shape. So I can't really say I was getting actually really tired, but you're like, holy shit, is this ever going to end? Like, I'm just out there the whole time. And Chorney, I felt bad. He was a rookie. Like, that's not the impression he wants to leave either. Um, but, you know, it, I, I think we lost that game. And, you know, it's, it's funny to laugh about it now because I think it's one of the longest shifts, you know, you know in, in, unintentional long shifts. Because there's been guys like Ryan Smith, remember, I think he played the, like the last six minutes. Yeah. Because they were trying to get him an extra goal to get to, what, 400 or whatever it was or 450, whatever it was. But uh, mine was not intentional. It wasn't like they're like, let's leave Strato Cachorni out there and see if we can tire them out. <laughs> it you, was so funny. So you had a minus 11 Corsi on that shift. Did you know that? That minus 11? <laughs> that would have been a good thing. That would have been a step in the right direction. Yeah, you know what? I'm so glad that I didn't. there wasn't analytics when I was in there, especially my last year or two with the Oilers. Like, I can imagine a guy like low tide, Alan Mitchell, just tearing me strip from strip. Telling me about my goal or whatever, my points per 60 and my, uh, what is it? My, uh, you know, g- wins over game average or something or goal scoring expectation, all that. It would just been, it would have been negative and I would have just been getting s- slammed in a hole. I don't know. I, I worked with Low Tide back in those days, like the decade of darkness on the yeah. Oilers Nation radio and then obviously on his Monday to Friday show. And I just remember him telling me like all the time, you know, Connor, the stats indicate things are, things are going to turn around for this team. It's going to happen. <laughs> And I was just like rolling my eyes back so far, like no low tide, it's not gonna happen. They need to make changes, but uh, oh, that that shift's funny. How about like after the fact in film? Was there any jokes about it uh, going no, no. forward? With that the guys, they didn't even like. I was so mad. They didn't even. Uh, they didn't even say anything. I just snapped because uh, it's just it's like it's this is just like enough. Like let's just get this over with, right? <laughs> and Tom, I'm sure Pat Quinn, you know, God rest his soul, was just losing his mind that we were on even on the ice. 
But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it's one of those things that you just kind of, it, it, it's really funny. Like, it, and even at the time, like, I wasn't that upset because we didn't get scored on. And people always say it's a bad thing. Like, I'll, I'll say something online. I'll be like, I believe this to be true about the orders. And people always inevitably, well, what do you know? You had a four minute shift. <laughs> I'm like, well, those four minutes are more than you've ever even seen on NHL Life Service. Like, what are you so? They're always so <laughs> negative about it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like they know. I mean, if they ever were to go up against you for four minutes, I'll you know probably be speaking a different <laughs> story. But <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, I want to ask you about Ladislav Schmid, one of my favorite players when he was with the Oilers. I actually met him out well, like at Oil City, I think. Uh, a bunch of the Oilers were out there, and he and I had like a five minute conversation just about like life and playing in Edmonton, coming over here. Uh, what kind of car he drove. What was he like? The best guy. One of my favorite teammates ever. Always happy. Always smiling. Like, we'd always joke about who could bench press more. Like, he is one of the, the greatest guys. Um, and I loved him. I loved him. You know, he, he, um, you know, he cracked out a good NHL career. He's still playing in Czech, actually. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, he's over there, you know, missing teeth all over the place. <laughs> Uh, but just a great, fun, loving guy. I love that guy. He was, he, he was one of, like I said, one of my favorite teammates I ever had. Uh, going into your third year with the Oilers, that's when Taylor Hall gets drafted to the club first overall. When you first saw him, you know, training camps, what, what was your first thoughts on Taylor Hall? Well, you know, we, when he came to Edmonton, um, we we got a call from I forget who one of the, the coaches or whatever like take Taylor Hall out for dinner, so um, Carl Gano, Gilbert, Sam Gani, and myself went out for dinner with Taylor Hall. He didn't talk, like he was so shy. I'm like, does this guy talk or like what what's going on? And then you know, it turns out he was really quiet. Um, but he he is he is. He was just a great guy. And I, you know, it's unfortunate that he was traded from here and we're not going to revisit that. But, you know, I, I, I thought he was, he was very, he didn't understand how hard it was to be an NHL or how, how much you had to work as far. Not that he was lazy, but just like, you know, you had to build your body up and practice and all that stuff. And he's got it now. He's, he's a great pro, but that's like all young players. They don't know because it comes so easy in junior. So like, what was it like? Give me an example of, you know, Taylor Hall, Jordan Eberle, maybe even Magnus Piarvi Svensson, like back in the day. What were those guys like? I mean, practice wraps up. Are they just kind of hanging out, taking it easy, going home to play video games? Well, give me an example of them maybe not quite realizing what you have to do to become a professional and have sustained success in the NHL. Yeah, you know, a lot of it was working out. I think that to build up your body, to get stronger, um, you know, that, that was one thing for sure. You don't, you didn't put his time in. Uh, you gotta put your time in, you know, but understanding that it's not just like on Sunday afternoon, you do 30 minutes of arm curls. It's every day doing a little bit of something. You know, you work on your game, get on the ice early, work on your shot. Uh, after practice, you know, jump off the skating coach, do some stuff. And it's just a, it's a slow growth and it slowly gets stronger and better and better as you go along. Um, and it just takes time to, to do that. But, you know, once you figure it out, you find out what works for you. What I need isn't the same as maybe what Taylor Hall needs or as this guy needs. So, but you, you have to try to figure out what you need to be that, that, that consistent professional hockey player. And some guys aren't able ever to find it. Then what happens is they, they go and play in the AHL or in Europe and there's nothing wrong with that. But the guys that do and sustain that success, uh, or, or sorry, sustain that type of lifestyle, which it is a lifestyle being a hockey player, then they have that success in the AHL that they want. Stradia, you once told me a story about, and I, th- I think it was Magnus Piarvi about after a game, a team flight, and like you said, these guys would just be conked right out, yeah. like before takeoff even. Yeah, we, you know, because he, he was his rookie year, and, and I sat with uh, Javi Bulin, and the guys would just, 
you, you, it was so exhausting and you're not, your, your body isn't like, you're not a man yet. I think he was 18 or 19 at the time and I was 33 or 34 and we'd been through it. Habby and I'd been through it. So we'd just sit back and he and I would just talk or whatever. And then we'd walk by Maggie and Maggie'd be asleep in like 20 minutes. Like he's, he was so tired. And, and the other guys too, because, you know, you, you play a game on Friday night in Colorado, you, you, you fly to Dallas, you get there at whatever, let's say two or three in the morning, you, you, you practice that day. The next, then you play on Sunday against Dallas and you got to fly over to Phoenix or something. Like it just never ends. You're constantly going and playing. And, uh, if you don't manage your energy levels, you're, you're going to run out of juice and that'll lead to, uh, injuries as well. But it's, it is tiring. Even when I came back from New York and, and played with Edmonton, I was tired because we were so used to short trips. I was sleeping on the plane just the same as some of those other guys. Strutty, just quickly with that, I mean, when you played in New York, I imagine travel was a lot less time consuming than it was playing for the Oilers. Oh yeah, like we well yeah. I mean, we we take I could I could drive myself to the games in New Jersey, something I had done since I was like ten um, for a road game, and then uh, you know to Long Island, the, the Rangers get us a, a hire us a car and drive us there. Then after the game, we just jump back in the car and take you home. Um, Philadelphia was like a bus, or we take sorry a train. Um, so I mean, those are three of your rival games. That they were like they were almost a shorter commute than guys that live in the bottom of Empton, the south side of Empton, have to drive to uh, the new arena. Once you told me a story about Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle's suits and how you had to help them out and even take them shopping, like how did that all come to be? So they, they felt they wanted new suits. I don't know if you remember, if you want to look at Taylor Hall's draft suit, it was acmarine colored shirt and the guys gave him a hard time. So one of my wife's friends was, was a worker or a employee at one of these nice suit stop, shops. I think it was Henry Singer. So we go in there with them, and, and uh, they both decide they're going to get some suits and shirts, and they're really happy. Like, that what they're getting, it looks really good. Um, so it's time to pay. Well, I think Everly forgot his wallet, so now it's just Taylor Hall. So he goes to pay, and Taylor Hall's like, um, you know, we're, we're not, we're, I didn't know what we were doing. We weren't there. You know, we weren't at the register. And he comes over, he's like, guys, uh, I've got a bit of a problem here. I have money in my account, but I can't get it. There's a limit on my credit cards. So we're like, what are you talking about? He's like, my credit card is a limit. I can't pay. So he paid like maybe 500 and then 500 on another credit card. And then we went, um, and my wife and I paid on our credit card. We paid for all the suits, the rest of it. Then those guys had to pay me a check back. They're like, we're so embarrassed. Like we have the money. We just can't <laughs> get the money. <laughs> but they were like 18 and 20 at the time. Like, yeah. you, you know, I get it. Like you don't need to have these guys having a $50,000 limit on their, on their, uh, you know, their, their visas. I mean, yeah, we laugh at that, but I was the same way. Like, there's no way I could afford a nice suit when I was 18. I Clearly, first, I didn't have the money. Second, uh, definitely a limit on the old debit card, so that would not have worked out for me. Yeah. Uh, what When you went from the, I guess, let's not even say WHL, you went to, obviously, the AHL, and you make that jump to the NHL. Outside of suit game, like, what's something that the normal person who never went through it would be surprised by? Like, what's the biggest change in lifestyle from the AHL to the NHL? Oh, well, I mean, the way you travel, I mean, it's just so much nicer. You're not on these buses with a bunch of stinky guys. Uh, you're on, you know, nice planes and better food. Uh, all that kind of stuff is great. Um, but also I think just the access to anything you need, you know, as far as training apparatuses or, um, you know, coaches, if you want a personal trainer, anything you want, they, they have it there for you, right? Like that was, that was a huge thing. Um, then I think also, but the pressure, you know, there, there's more pressure. Like you're, ex- when you get to the NHL, you do your job. 
That's, I remember when I got there, the, uh, one of the coaches said, don't worry about doing else's up. You do your job. And by that he meant like, you, 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 you know, you kill penalties, you be physical, you show up every night, you be intense. Um, and that's what your job is. You're expected to do your job. And if, if you do your job and the other guy beside you does your job, that should work out okay. But if I'm not doing my job, it makes it hard for everybody else because everyone in the NHL is pretty much where they're supposed to be as far as on the ice at any given time. Uh, whether it's puck support or driving the net or whatever it is, you know, they, they pretty much 99% of the time they're in the right spot. That 1% you're not, you get scored on. Strutty, by my count, 186 games played for the Edmonton Oilers organization. I just want to ask you a couple of quick questions here before we let you go. Who was your favorite teammate? Well, Laddie Sneed was a great one. There's, there's no one about it. But, you know, I had a lot of fun with a lot of different guys. Like, Sheldon Surrey and I had a lot of fun just chirping each other. Um, you know, Cogdano and, and Gagne were so young and they were, they were so much fun to be around. Tom Gilbert had a lot of fun with Gibby. Um, Kyle Brodziak. Like, it was a really good group of guys. Eric Cole, Happy Boulin. You know, I got to be pretty good friends with him. Um, you know, talking about just about life and about being a Russian and like just really neat things. You know, as, as you get older, your, your life, your interests change a little bit, shift away from, you know, where are we going tonight to, you know, let's just go eat. And Happy and I would always go, just he and I, we'd have, he'd have salmon and rice and I'd have like tuna and rice almost every place we went to. So it was a pretty, we had a pretty good, you know, lifestyle together and pretty good times together. My next question was going to be, when you played for the Oilers, where was the best spot for a night out? You know what? I was married by then, and we were trying to start a family. So we were pretty um, – we weren't really going out that much. Um, and so, you know, but I, I remember one time I went out. What was that big bar in Jasper Avenue? It was a country bar. Oh, probably Oil City. Oil City. Yeah. So Gibber, Gibby – Cogs and Sam Gondi are like, let's go to Oil City. I'm like, I don't want to go there. They're like, come on. So after the game, I think we had a good game. So I'm like, oh, let's go. But me and my wife was out of town. So we go out there, and there the four guy, four of us, it was midwinter. They're like, here, hold my coat. So I hold all their coats. I'm just standing at the bar. I remember drinking a Bud Light. There's all these like 20-year-olds just partying all around me and me. I'm like 30, just standing there saying, what the hell am I doing in here? So after a couple of beers, I just walked over to Cogs and said, here, I'm out. You, here's your coats. I'm leaving. And they just say, okay, no problem, buddy. See you later. And that was it. And I was gone. And uh, it was uh, it was not a really good a good time. No. For me. Strutty, you finish your time with the Oilers back in 2011. What's the process like in finding out that they're not going to be bringing you back for the following season? Well, I knew, you know, that the second after my second year, um, you know, I, Steve Tamalini said, Strutty, we're going to sign you for one last year, and that'll be it for sure. And I said, okay, no problem. And uh, I was good. I was happy of that. And I'm like, no problem. So I knew it was coming to an end, you know. And then I, I you know, I told my agent, if someone wants me, I'll come and do the same role, like play 40 games. It's going to be a mentor. And uh, he's like, no, they're done. <laughs> Nobody else wants you. I'm like, okay. So we went to play in Sweden for that, that year, and it was a lot of fun. But, you know, you just at some point you run out of juice. You know, you just don't have that same hunger anymore. And, you know, like not, not to feel, I don't want anyone to feel sore myself, but the, my time in the NHL was very stressful. I had to work hard every day and grind and be on my game. And like, if I got hurt, it was a big issue. So like, you know, I remember when I finally was done playing, like I'm finally, finally done playing. It was like a, just a release, like, ah, it's just such a, I could take a deep breath and just continue a more normal life without being that high strung a lifestyle. Cause it's, you know, to play that many games as a six or seven defenseman, um, you know, I got to be on my game. You know, I had to be like Bob Barker on The Price is Right. I'd be perfect every night. <laughs>
Strutty, thanks so much for doing this and hopping on the podcast. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to get you back on and maybe open up the old vault a little more, get some more stories from you. Connor, you're the best. Anytime, buddy. That is former NHLer Jason Strudwick, now part of the Jason Greger Show on TSN 1260. Really appreciate him hopping on the podcast here. And we'll definitely have to get him back, get a few more stories out of Mr. Jason Strudwick. Right now, let's bring in the voice of the Bakersfield Condors, of course, the Edmonton Oilers AHL affiliate. Ryan Holt joins us. And Ryan, first things first, congratulations on getting back into the building. I know we weren't too sure what the plan was going forward with the AHL. Looks like things are full go. How did you find out the news and how good is it to be back in the building? Yeah, it feels good, uh, first and foremost, just to get back to some normalcy. And yeah, last week, uh, you know, I got a call from our, our team president, Matt Riley, that you know, things were in, in motion and looked like we were going to be able to, to firm up uh, uh, some dates and firm up the schedule. And uh, things would look a little different. They'd uh, feel a little different. But at the end of the day, we'd uh, be able to play some hockey uh, here in 2021. So uh, just great. Our, our first day back in uh, office, I guess, if you will, was uh, earlier today and had a chance to, to get down to the locker room and see the coaching staff and see some of the equipment staff as they get ready. So uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting couple of months, but uh, certainly something that we're excited about. So for Oilers fans, maybe having questions about the team's AHL affiliate, uh, what can we expect this year when it comes to schedule length and, and things of that nature? Yeah, it looks like we're going to play about 40 games uh, here in the Pacific Division. And uh, this year there's there's eight teams in the Pacific Division uh, with the inclusion of of the Henderson uh, Silver Knights, which is uh, Vegas's team. So Vegas uh, was able to move their AHL team uh, out here to the Pacific Division. So uh, we have eight teams out here in the Pacific. We'll play inside the division exclusively. Uh, looks like about 40 games, and looks like we'll play just about everybody out here in the Pacific. And uh, we haven't announced uh, uh, in terms of playoff format and how things like that would work. Uh, that'll be coming at a later date from the AHL, but uh, just great to get some games on the on the calendar and, and start playing some hockey. Ryan, I wanted to ask you about the culture in Bakersfield with Coach Woodcroft and his staff because, I mean, I, I've noticed that the players that come up back to the Edmonton Oilers, whether it be Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, they seem to be so mature. Uh, does Coach Woodcroft stress that and, and kind of develop them off the ice as well as on the ice? Absolutely. It's a, a testament uh, to the culture that, that he's uh, kind of ingrained down here, and it's a it's a work ethic of, you know, uh, you're in the American Hockey League, but we're treating this as if it's uh, the NHL right now because it's not going to get any easier uh, when you get up to Edmonton. So uh, I think a lot of the situations that uh, players have faced down here in Bakersfield are situations that you'd see up in Edmonton. So when they get there, nothing is really uh, kind of foreign to them. So uh, you mentioned guys like Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones and, um, you know, Tyler Benz and Coop Marodi. I mean, guys who have gone up and, and had success, Tyler Yamamoto uh, with the NHL's Edmonton Oilers. And you look at not only Jay, but also, uh, you know, our assistant coaches with Dave Manson on the back end and J.F. Wool up front and Fly Rodriguez between the pipes. And, um, you know, I think it's just, but also, uh, you know, players that are going to go up and, and do their job and, and do what's asked of them. I want to ask you about a few players still with the Oilers right now and obviously spent time with the Condors last season. Uh, start off with Tyler Benson last year, nine goals for the Condors, 27 assists in 47 games. Uh, what do you see in his game that makes you think that he can translate it into the next uh, level? 
Yeah, he has tremendous vision first and foremost, and you know he thinks the game uh, extremely well. And um, you know Tyler's a guy who you know is a prolific scorer at just about all levels, and uh, really tore it up here in the American Hockey League. And last year, um, just with uh, some different line mates and some different chemistry, things you know maybe didn't go on the upward trajectory that 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 he was maybe accustomed to in the rookie year with uh, you know the the amount of points that he had with Marodi and how they just kind of, you know, teared the, teared the league on fire that first year. But, um, you know, he's a player who uh, I think is a, a very mature player. Um, he's wise beyond his years. Uh, he's a guy who is going to push uh, in Edmonton this year for sure. And, uh, you know, if he ends up here in Bakersfield, all the better. But, um, you know, he's a guy who's kind of right on that cusp, I think, right now of, of pushing some of those uh, some of those depth players, certainly up in Edmonton for, for a role. The voice of the Bakersfield Condors, Ryan Holt, joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast. How about Ryan McLeod? Why should Oiler fans be excited about him? Uh, he's a, a big rangy center who um, he can fly first and foremost. And uh, I think once he kind of figures out you know, how his speed kind of translates, almost like a controlled speed, you know, how can he you know, find ways to, to get to areas and maybe you know, not even be so fast on, on pucks because uh, he's, a, he's a tremendous skater. Um, I think he's a, a guy with a ton of upside, especially moving forward. Um, he's good on the dot as well, too, and he's got a lot of guys down here in Bakersfield, guys like Brad Malone who have been able to help him to uh, kind of grow professionally, too, as well. So uh, he had a very good rookie season, and I would expect uh, good things from him in the second year. Another player a lot of fans excited about is former first-round pick Evan Bouchard. Uh, last year with the Condors, he scored seven goals. He had 36 points in 54 games. Uh, what do you like about his game? Well, first and foremost, I mean, you go to the shot, but I think secondly, um, the defensive side of his game really grew uh, in his rookie season here in Bakersfield last year, which was cut short in March. I think you would have seen an even better Evan Bouchard over the final 20 games. Uh, here in Bakersfield, uh, he was really starting to, you know, put his arrows in the upper direction. And again, I mentioned Dave Manson, and you know, Manson does such a great job with the defensive core. And you take a guy like Bouchard, and you kind of look at the track record of guys like Jones and Bear, you know, Bill Lagason that have come here through Bakersfield. Um, Bouchard's kind of that next step, and obviously he's a first-round draft pick as opposed to the other three. But you know, when you look at it, it's uh, you know a situation where. You know, the defensive side of the game needed to improve. It had improved. His skating's improved. He's got a tremendous shot. And I think, you know, from all I've heard about his time in Sweden as well, too, he showed very well over there, too. So um, he's a guy with a bright NHL future and a guy I don't anticipate um, Bakersfield seeing a whole lot of <laughs> ever again or, if anything, you know, sparsely this season. Uh, goaltender Stuart Skinner is a guy who I think people in Edmonton know a lot about from his WHL days. Of course, he had a lot of success with Lethbridge and then going on to the Swift Current Broncos, spent some time in the East Coast League, and then last year was around for 41 games with the Condors. What have you seen from him just when it t- comes to just steady improvement? Yeah, I think this is a, a big year for, for Stu just in terms of you know, with the new rules and the taxi squad up in Edmonton and uh, kind of anticipating, you know, Anton Forsberg being here as kind of a veteran presence uh, in Bakersfield this year, at least when you looked at it on paper. Well, that's kind of changed now with the, the taxi squad rules and, and having to carry three goaltenders up in Edmonton. So it looks like Stu's, you know, kind of the, the man here in Bakersfield. And he got a lot of experience. He kind of got thrown in the fire last year. Shane Sterrick got hurt early on after Shane had a tremendous uh, rookie season, um, Stu got thrown in the fire. We had some some big injuries on the back end, a lot of 
uh, unfamiliarity on the back end as well, too. It, it didn't look like the same team from the year prior in terms of the defensive just because of the amount of bodies that we had to use back there. So uh, I think if he can get some uh, consistency back there, um, you know, he's going to be kind of the bell cow. Uh, between the pipes, I think, this year here in Bakersfield. And, you know, if there's 40 games uh, here in Bakersfield, I would anticipate him getting the majority of them. I kind of mentioned the big names that a lot of people have reached out to me wanting me to ask you about. Uh, is there anyone else that I might have missed that you think maybe not necessarily next year, but down the road could be key contributors for the Oilers? Yeah, you know what? I'm just starting to re-familiarize myself with the entire organization just after uh, the late extended offseason. Uh, but I think guys like guys like a McLeod are really on the cusp, and, and you saw with Yamamoto and, and Bouchard. I'm excited to see kind of this uh, this next wave kind of come uh, here into Bakersfield. You know, you hear names like Lavoie and Broberg, and whether they ever end up in Bakersfield, you know, remains to be seen. But just kind of that next wave, and, and not necessarily this year, but um, you look at Sam Rukoff and what he's done in the KHL here over the last. A couple of months, and whether we see him here in Bakersfield at the end of uh, this season or not, uh, when the KHL's up. So, uh, there's a lot of uh, really good talent I think coming through the pipeline. Uh, it, it's being developed very well. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't had uh, a lot of time on the ice here in the last ten months. But uh, you know, I'm excited to to get things going. We'll open up camp on the 25th, and uh, we have a preseason game before uh, the opener on the 5th of February. So um, we're ready for it, and uh, hope uh, hope Edmonton has a a great season as well too. And uh, hopefully, uh, they do well, and and we have a, a strong showing here, and you know, kind of develop the next crop. Uh, Ryan, just one more for you. You mentioned Kyler Yamamoto, and I think a lot of people were kind of surprised at the tenacity that he brought when he came back up with the Oilers. Was that something that he added to the game, or did you see that throughout his time in Bakersfield? He was always kind of pesky, uh, and I think having kind of the veteran leadership here in Bakersfield uh, over the last couple of years, guys like Luke Esposito, Brad Malone, Joe Gambardella, Josh Curry the last couple of years, but some guys that have been in the organization for, for a number of years and um, you know, Yamamoto played with a lot of those guys and they kind of showed him the way uh, on the ice and, and how he could use his skill set uh, to maybe get under some skin and, and maybe agitate a little bit. And, um, you know, the first thing I noticed uh, about Yamamoto his first time even on the ice is, is just how tenacious he is on pucks. Uh, he's an aggressive floor checker. That's why he gets so many offensive opportunities. I think the world of him, uh, you know, he's small in stature, but, uh, you know, there's nothing small about his game. Uh, I think he's primed for a, a big year in Edmonton. Uh, playing with dry settle certainly helps that matter, uh, but certainly uh, Yamamoto is a guy who can carry his own line and uh, just uh, a fantastic success story uh, for us here in Bakersfield and uh, hopefully for years to come for the Oilers. Ryan, uh, thanks so much for doing this today. We really appreciate you hopping on the podcast, and hopefully we can get you back on once the season gets going. Absolutely, Connor. Anytime. I appreciate it. That is the play-by-play voice of the Bakersfield Condors, Ryan Holt. You can give him a follow at Condors Holty on Twitter. Highly recommended. He will keep you up to date on what's going on with some of the Oilers' future stars. And we've got one more interview to get to here on the other Connor podcast. Once again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the show today on the Hockey Podcast Network. And the Edmonton Oilers will officially kick off their season Wednesday night when they take on the Vancouver Canucks down at Rogers Place. Should be a fun one. I'm sure we're all pumped up just for any sort of hockey. I don't know about you guys, but ever since that gold medal game between Canada and the United States, I've just been craving some hockey. So can't wait to get it going on Wednesday. And with that, let's bring in a guy who knows the Vancouver Canucks very well. He's with The Athletic. He covers the team 
Thomas Drantz joining us here on the program. Thomas, thanks a lot for doing this. How are you doing today? Oh, Connor, my absolute pleasure. Anything for the former producer of uh, <laughs> Nations Radio. You remember that, and I was joking because we had uh, Alan Mitchell on the show last week talking about how, you know, about a decade ago we used to do this Oilers Nation radio show, and I think you, Kent Wilson, you guys were like regulars on the podcast. Oh, yeah, that was my first show radio rep, so I owe you a ton. <laughs> oh, well, uh, we appreciate yeah, you. Matt, I've got a new puppy, and he's uh, quite vocal sometimes when he doesn't have the... Uh, my undivided attention. You'll have to excuse me. <laughs> well, apologize to the puppy for us, and uh, we're sorry to take your time, but we'll make it quick. We won't keep you too long. Uh, I guess just first things first, how's it going now with hockey again? I know you guys are allowed in the rink, able to watch the team. How's it been getting back into the swing of things? Oh, fascinating. It's been, you know, interesting to watch training camp play out. The Canucks have had some interesting stories this week. Obviously, they signed Travis Hamannick to a PTO. And he wasn't able to hit the ice with the team until today. Uh, sort of a new, very 2020 kind of thing where you sign a tryout agreement and actually can't try out at all. Um, <laughs> that sort of speaks to the state of the NHL. And we got some good performances from some young players, guys like Olio Levy and Niels Hoaglander, who've looked NHL ready. Uh, and that's a huge development for a team that has the top end kind of set but doesn't have the depth, really, the quality depth to sort of be a contender, right? The the idea of getting two guys, and the bar is relatively low. Like, these guys don't have to be stud, top four, top six type players. If they're, you know, average third pair, average third liners uh, on relatively affordable deals (laughs) for the foreseeable future, like, that is a huge game changer for a Canucks team that just needs credible, affordable depth. Uh, I'd almost compare it to the impact that getting a, you know, average second-line player out of Yamamoto had on the Oilers' top six, right? It completely revamped their options in situations or lineups where McDavid and Dreisaitl weren't together. Uh, you know, Hoaglander, he's probably not at that level. Uh, I'd say he's very likely not at that level. But even if he's a tier below, he can have a similar type of impact just in terms of what it means for the Canucks in terms of cap allocation, in terms of slotting in their lineup. So I'm fascinated to see how some of their young players perform this season because in a lot of ways, that affordable depth story is the one that matters the most for a club poised to, you know, have some cap issues in in a world where Pedersen and Hughes hit their second contracts going this season. Uh, Thomas, I guess first things first, if... For those who don't know, we're obviously recording this Monday evening, so podcast drops Tuesday. Depends when people hear this, but can you give us an update on the whole COVID situation, the little scare that the Canucks had? Yeah, you know, I, I don't have a ton for you. The head coach, Travis Green, described it as a false positive, something that you know is pretty rare in PCR tests, as I understand it. Um, out of an abundance of caution, the club scrub practice. They practice today, however. Uh, but Jordy Ben was not available for practice. Not exactly clear why, um, but that could obviously have some significant ramifications for the club, especially as they look to set their opening day roster ahead of 2 p.m. on Tuesday evening. Um, so, you know, that's all That's all we really know uh, at the moment, and we'll, we'll sort of have to wait and see. Um, hopefully 2021 is, isn't, doesn't have too much of a 2020 flavor, and uh, things progress you know, normally uh, the Canucks are able to fly out, practice tomorrow and fly out on Wednesday and or fly out on Tuesday night, excuse me, and play the Oilers on Wednesday and, and bring hockey back to our lives. But, you know, 
the fact of the matter is the virus remains in control in a lot of ways, and, uh, and we'll sort of see. But it looks like, at least from the vantage point of Monday evening, like the Canucks may have ducked a worst-case scenario here. Thomas Jarrett's joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast. You can catch him on The Athletic, TSN40. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Thomas Strantz. And, uh, you know, you mentioned 2020. It wasn't all bad for the Canucks. They had a nice little run inside the bubble. How much do you think that experience that they had helps this team going forward? Yeah, I think it helps a lot. I mean, I think it builds up confidence for some of their young guys, right? This team, after the way that Hughes and Pedersen performed in the bubble, right, I don't think their young stars are going to be dogged with any of that can't get the can't get it done in the playoffs sort of narrative, right? They've done it right off the bat. Uh, I, I think that matters. Like I think that matters a lot for a young player's stature in the league and, and just for their overall confidence level. Um, I also think that the you know Demko performance certainly uh, lends some confidence in the guy who is Vancouver's presumed goaltender of the future, but who might have a heavy load on his shoulders this year, especially with Jacob Markstrom's departure. Uh, and depending on how Braden Holpe performs, right, brought in to replace Markstrom, probably a downgrade in net for the club, just in terms of quality, but obviously Holpe has been there, done that. Uh, they'll hope for stability there, but, you know, it's going to come down to performance. And, and I think what Demko did in the bubble, you know, reminded people, despite a 2019-20 season, his first full campaign in the NHL, that was a little bit inconsistent, especially when he was called on to you know, Bill Markstrom's shoes after Markstrom sustained uh, an injury in, you know, I think it was mid-February, but who knows, all of the all of the before times kind of blends together. Um, and then additionally, you got huge performances out of Bo Horvat in the bubble, uh, out of J.T. Miller. Uh, you, you'd think that that stands the club in good stead, but, you know, the other thing it does is it raises expectations, right? It's, uh, and we've, you've seen this in Edmonton. Um, you know, they've gone through it in Calgary. The, the fact is is that once you're a playoff team, like once you're a team that's gone on a run, the expectation is that you do it again. And we all know that team development isn't always linear. Uh, the Canucks are battling some unique circumstances, not just from the pandemic, but because in terms of budget, um, you know, they've shed almost 25% of salary commitments year over year. So from the team that left the bubble, uh, which had about $88 million on the books, to, to this year, where it's, you know, 66 before... An expected Hammonick deal might get it up to about 67. Uh, that's a pretty steep drop. And, you know, typically in this league, you get what you pay for. The, the Canucks' challenge is going to be now to outpunch uh, their salary outlay. And, and that tends to be pretty difficult unless you're, you know, a sharp counting card, something this club traditionally hasn't been. Thomas, you mentioned Markstrom heading to Calgary this past off season. Of course, they do bring in veteran Braden Holpe, uh, Thatcher Demko, like you said, playing great in the bubble. Uh, how do you expect them to kind of balance those two goalies when it comes to starts throughout the season? Yeah, so Braden Holpe, I think, will start on Wednesday. I think he'll get the opening night start, and you know he's been in like the early group for the first day of camp. He's been in the starters end of the rink when both goaltenders have been in the same group. Uh, that suggests to me that he opens the season uh, with that starter's respect. But I don't know that that starter's respect will extend to him being the guy that the coaching staff comes back with after, for example, an off game, right? Like, I, I don't think that's necessarily going to be, you know, the extent to which he has the edge in that. Like, I think that's more a hat tip to his veteran status and that ultimately it's going to be performance that dictates which goaltender starts and how often they play. 
Uh, obviously, we know there's going to be a ton of back-to-backs this year. We know the schedule is going to be compressed. There's no question you're going to need both goaltenders. But, you know, in terms of uh, the split, I really do think it's going to come down to who's got the hot hand, who's stopping pucks, who does the coaching staff have that faith in. Uh, I don't believe that the Canucks will go into this season with Holpe as sort of a, you know, designated like workhorse or, you know, thinking that it's a 60-40. I suspect it's going to be um, a lot of games schedule determined and then, you know, the ones where the coaching staff truly has the option, the, the pick em starts, I think it'll go to whoever's playing better. Thomas, i got to ask you about a guy, one of my favorite players to watch, uh, Quinn Hughes. Uh, how fun is it to see what this guy does day in, day out? And how much of a step forward can we expect for him in his second year? I mean, obviously last year, 53 points and 68 games offensively. The guy was outstanding. But can he take a bigger step? Yeah. It's hard to know, right? Because how much better can you be? Like, there's only so much you can do. Um, the Canucks crushed opponents in minutes with Pedersen and Hughes on the ice. And you know, Hughes had one of the largest impacts on just the gravity of the game, the flow of play that anyone had in the league. I definitely think he helped Chris Tanev, a stalwart defensive player whose transition abilities had fallen off in recent seasons, sort of um, you know, have a career year, frankly. Like he hit a career high in points, he was healthy throughout the season. Um, he cashed in big with the Flames. And, and not that Tanner's not an excellent player, but I don't think it's any secret who was sort of, you know, delivering the mustard on that pair, especially, you know, through, through the neutral zone and, and in the offensive end. Um, Hughes is a pretty remarkable piece. His edges are amazing, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Uh, he does the type of things on the ice that just kind of make you shake your head and laugh. <laughs> and he does them routinely, and he does them in a subtle way too, right? He's not the loudest guy. There's not the big hit. Uh, in a lot of ways, you kind of have to retrain uh, yourself versus what you expect a defenseman to do, right? It's not just like the heavy slapper and the big hit. It's just disciplined, intelligent play, uh, methodically working the puck to high-danger scoring areas and, and you know, controlling play, uh, unlike just about anyone else in the league. Doing it all at 19 last season was incredible, and I'm really curious to see what he does in year two because... From his perspective, this is more like year three, right? Like you have the pause, you come back, you have the bubble. Like this is his third training camp, even though we're going to call it his second season, right? Uh, I I think in some ways, you know, there's not going to be the same type of sophomore pressures because, you know, he's already come back to an environment where he had everyone's attention, right? Where he was pre-scouted heavily, where people knew what to expect of him. Um, he's already gone through some of those sophomore things. Uh, I kind of think that this should be almost looked at as, as his third season because of that. And I'm really fascinated to see how he delivers. I, I certainly think he's the best defenseman in Canada. I don't think it's all that close. And if you're shaking your head in disagreement with that statement, I just don't think you will be in three months. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him play this year. And I think a lot of Oilers fans will find out Wednesday night. Uh, speaking of that matchup, what do you expect from the Canucks? Uh, do you have any predictions for that game? Uh, well, I, you know, more than the game itself, I think that the Canucks and the Oilers are going to be scraping it out for that fourth playoff spot. Uh, the way that I sort of handicap the Canadian division, I see Toronto as the best team. Like I, I like to say that there's two certainties in the Canadian division, Ottawa in seventh, 
<laughs> and Toronto in first in the regular season before going out in the first round, right? Like, those are my two certainties <laughs> in the Canadian division. And then, you know, from there, I kind of rate Montreal. Like, I think Montreal is the one systems team in the uh, North division, the Canadian division. Uh, I think they're going to rack up a ton of 3-2, 2-1 wins. Uh, I just think they're sturdy, structurally exceptionally sound. And people say they don't have elite talent, and, and I say those people haven't watched Nick Suzuki play enough. Um, from there, I, I kind of have Calgary in third, and, and then I think it's going to be a dogfight between you know Edmonton, Vancouver, and Winnipeg's goaltending for that fourth playoff spot. And um, I'll, I'll probably be picking Vancouver when I lay down my predictions on Wednesday, but I, you know I don't think there's a ton separating those three teams ultimately. Uh, I think it's going to be a long, drawn-out knife fight, as it were, um, for that fourth and coveted and most competitive playoff spot in the North. Thomas, we actually had uh, Craig Button on the show last week, and he mentioned that he thought Montreal would win the North Division. So maybe wow. they're maybe they're getting some steam here, getting a little more momentum from the outsiders, yeah. at least. Yeah, getting some respect. Well, they should be. I mean, uh, they have a lot of depth, but they have a lot of you know, veteran savvy. They have a good goaltending tandem. Um, for me, though, I just think the Leafs are overwhelming in terms of the depth that they're going to come at people with. And, and people are looking at, you know, they've split their elite talent over two power play units. They've do, they're doing some things that look goofy in terms of, like, Joe Thornton on the top line. Uh, but I, I just think, why wouldn't you fatten your lineup out to that extent if you think you have the most depth in Canada. And if the Maple Leafs are looking at their roster and saying we have the most depth in this country, uh, they're right, and they're not right by a little bit. I I think a lot of that might make sense and and pay off in the 18th minute of a lot of periods. And uh, I'm really fascinated to watch how that experiment plays out. But for me, I don't really think it's close at the top end. I I know there's some people who prefer Montreal. Um, I know there's some statistical models that do the same, but I, I just think Toronto's... Uh, overwhelming in, in terms of the level of talent and depth relative to their Canadian peers in this division. Uh, I think they'll win, and I think it'll be you know something like a walk. Well, as we sit here Monday night taping this, we are 48 hours away. Thank you so much for joining us here, Thomas. We appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on later in the season. Oh, Connor, anytime, bud. All the best. Good luck with the new project, and enjoy the season, man. That is Thomas Durantz of The Athletic, senior NHL writer covering the Vancouver Canucks. Give him a follow on Twitter at Thomas Durant. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, episode three, officially in the books. Got to give a big thank you to all of our guests. Of course, Thomas Durant from The Athletic, the voice of the Bakersfield Condors, Ryan Holt, and my good friend, former NHLer, radio host, good overall person, Jason Strudwick. And Oilers fans, we are getting so close to the official puck drop of the 2021 season on our next show which will drop friday morning we're going to have on a few familiar voices we'll recap the edmonton oilers start to the season of course at that point they'll have two games down with 54 left to go we'll recap the two games against the vancouver canucks we'll go out to montreal talk about the canadians of course the oilers taking on the canadians saturday and monday and we're gonna have a voice that yeah it should bring back some nostalgia i promise you that so make sure you tune in to episode four of the other connor podcast here on the hockey podcast network Friday morning. Thank you guys again for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.